Hi, my name is Kristen Harrell-Lambides. I'm a licensed professional counselor based in New Jersey, and this is Out Is Through, Personal Experiences and Therapy Soundbites, where we'll be tackling and talking through our burning questions about our respective messy and magical lived human experiences from a therapeutic perspective, and hopefully gaining a little more clarity, freeing our minds from uncertainty and self-doubt as we grow and evolve together. So join me from the comfort of your preferred broadcast streaming service, and let's work our way out of challenges by talking them through and destigmatizing mental health struggles together. So today I'm joined by my brilliant, talented friend, Claudia Cortese. She teaches in the Writing Studies and Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies programs at Montclair State University. Her areas of expertise focus on fat studies, fat poetics, fat activism, weight stigma in medical settings, queer poetics, persona poetry, the lyric essay, representations of girlhood in lyric poetry, and hybrid literature. She's also a published poet and author of Wasp Queen, which you can pick up right now on sale over at Black Lawrence Press if the prospect of what it might be like if a young girl could speak her mind about harmful social norms is your jam. It is awesome. I got it when it first came out, and it also has the most epic cover I have ever seen on any book anywhere. It's super badass. So... Claudia, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me here, Krista. Thank I'm you really for excited. being here. Me too. Um, so this is actually, as I shared with you when you got here, this is one of the first episodes that I'm going to be going into pretty cold. Um, mm. You are going to be my very first expert guest on this podcast, so that's exciting. Um, and I shared a little bit with you about some of the things we, we quasi-brainstormed, but I... I have very limited notes for this one, um, but as I as I shared with Claudia, um, I have several clients who have landed on my caseload over the years who struggle with weight and body image issues. Um, I am five foot two, a hundred pounds, soaking wet. So obviously, they can look at me and know that this is not a personal experience that I can relate to, which is why I tread very carefully. I wonder if, um, and I'm hoping you can give me some feedback on this, maybe too carefully with um with approaching this as far as um you know like like if I'm overly mindful like is is that a thing Mm. um in acknowledging the limitations I have in my personal experiences Mm. so what I do when somebody wants to work on weight I will never suggest this as a goal um but if somebody comes in wanting to work on weight loss but I kind of lean into it. Like, obviously you can look at me, you know, this isn't my personal struggle. Here's my approach. Um, I rely heavily on mindful self-compassion techniques and I use a lot of intuitive eating principles, um, which is an approach that this is the only place that I can sound smart and like I know things. So I'm going to just <laughs> roll with this. Um, it's an approach that encourages individuals to listen to their body's internal cues of hunger and fullness, developing non, a non-judgmental attitude and a tuned relationship with food, allowing them to eat according to their physiological needs versus any external rules or restrictions. Um, I'll lean into this saying like, that wakes up the little kid part of our brain where like, if we're told we can't do something, we can't have something, we wanna do or have that thing more. Like it just does not make sense. That doesn't track. She's nodding, so I guess I'm on the right track, yay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, I'm very focused on overall wellness and well-being versus optics and image. Like, yeah, you're, you're, gonna, be, you're gonna feel healthy, you're gonna feel nourished, you're gonna feel comfortable in your own skin. I'm not working with you on zipping up your skinny jeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that you explain intuitive eating. So I think a lot of clients of yours may not have heard of intuitive eating before. And it is, intuitive eating is so imposed, like opposed to the weight loss model. Because intuitive eating is all about connecting to your body, connecting to your cravings, connecting to your own hunger cues, which I think diet culture and anyone who has struggled with body image, is they are disconnected from that. You know, some people have said that and I think it's complicated, but it, for some people, it can be traumatic, right? Their experiences in a larger body or their relationship to food 
can actually be traumatic where eating triggers them and it triggers anxiety, it triggers self-hate, it triggers low self-esteem. And so a lot of people, and I know I have experienced this, can really become disconnected from their bodies. It's almost like a dissociated, traumatized state where they don't even know if they're hungry. They don't even know what they're in the mood to eat mm -hmm. because it's, well, what are the calories? And uh, am I allowed to eat this today? Am I going to feel guilty afterwards? And so I think intuitive eating is a beautiful way to actually heal some clients' trauma around food and yeah. be in their bodies again and connect to themselves again. Yeah. So that orthorexia, which is right. I just learned was an eating disorder. It's not as talked about, obviously, as anorexia and bulimia. Right. And do you want to define that for people? Because people may not know <laughs> so what that is. So that is, yeah, I did not until recently. So kind of that, what you were talking about, that obsessive focus on, okay, okay, I have this, what are the calories? And like specific choices of, of what they're eating. Right, right. And the sort of obsessive focus on is it healthy? Is it yeah. so orthorexia? Uh, and I think a lot of people have orthorexia and don't realize it because mm -hmm. orthorexia is praised in our culture. So it's this obsession with, am I eating whole grains? Am I eating healthy? Am I getting all the vitamins? Is what I'm eating whole foods versus I don't know what? Um, so yeah, it's like, I think a lot of people may not realize they have any disorder because it's masked behind something that our culture praises, which mm -hmm. is an obsession with, quote, clean eating. Clean eating. Oh, that was, so that was right. a question that I wanted to ask you um, specifically. So for me, I notice that I often, um, you know, there's, I have things like white privilege and thin privilege and femme privilege available mm. to me. And like, I will just kind of learn something that I have, you know, had the privilege to never have to think about as a result of my own lived experience. So um, recently, um, when you and I were out for pokey, and like I said something about focusing on clean eating to get rid of the bloat. And like, I almost asked you in the moment you did it because I knew we were gonna be recording this episode. But because your response was, I don't believe in dirty food. And I'm like, well, I mean, I, like, I want to know more about that. Hmm. Because so I want to know like where what I'm saying is harmful or stigmatizing in some way and why. And then on the flip side, you know, couldn't people also make arguments for like, well, if you're talking about something that's super processed and full of preservatives and like isn't even actual food anymore at that point, like, can you say clean eating then? <laughs> like, so tell me about that yeah, because like, I really right. want to know. Yeah. So I think it's, it's complicated. Uh, so your question is, can we even say that? Or I guess, so are you talking about sort or of like, in our lives why? or as a clinician or in a therapeutic setting? Or do you mean with friends? So in general, like, like what makes eating clean a problematic statement and right, what is right, a better right. way to look at it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I personally don't like the binary clean eating because the implication is that then there's like dirty foods or it's, it's sort of like the good versus bad, which also creates shame. Mm. Oh, I was bad today. I ate, you know, so I, I didn't eat clean today. And so kind of thinking about mental health, it can really make people feel so much shame and guilt. Like I didn't eat the right food. And I think um, I've heard some people say like a, maybe a more neutral way to say it is more nutritiously dense food and less nutritiously dense food. Okay. So that maybe one is more nutritious, one's a little less nutritious. But at the same time, I think that, and I guess there are nutrients in even food that we think of as junk food, right? There are nutrients in uh, there's protein there. Uh, potatoes have a ton of vitamins and minerals. So mm -hmm. fr French fries, yes, they may be fried, but you're also going to get a lot of vitamins and minerals. That's why the potato famine was so devastating in Ireland, because people were getting the majority of their nutrients from potatoes and it was good for them. And so I also think that sometimes there's a sort of, I guess, to use kind of a loaded gender term, a kind of hysteria around food. Mm. Um, and And I think some of it is really overdone. I mean, we know that only about 15 to 20%, and this is based on uh, research from, you can find this on the CDC's website, if you go to their social determinants of health page, we know that the majority of our health comes, or, and I think it's, 
I should look this up. It's either 15 or 20 or at the most 25%, and I can look this up. But uh, of our health outcomes are based on our food choices and how often we move our bodies and our quote-unquote lifestyle. The majority of our health outcomes are actually the result of genetics, access to health care, exposure to trauma. We know mm -hmm. that the more ACEs you have, the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the shorter your life expectancy is. Mm -hmm. So do you have access to clean water? Do you have access to clean air? Do you have access to medical care? Are you exposed to violence in your home or in your community, um, which is going to change your cortisol levels? It's um, how much power do you have in the workplace? Sociologists study this thing called decision latitude, which is essentially how empowered you are in the workplace. And the lower your decision latitude, the worse your health outcomes are because it puts so much strain on your body to not have power over your life. And so I also think, yes, eating nutritiously is important. Moving your body in ways that feel good for you and you're able to um, are useful. Um, not everyone's going to be able to move their bodies in the same way. Some people have disabilities. Some people just have di different amounts of free time. Uh, but also just keeping it sort of in check. I think the, his the sort of paranoia around food is overplayed and mm -hmm. it doesn't determine the majority of our health outcomes. And I think it's overplayed because it sets us up for victim blaming. If you have health problems, it is your fault. You didn't eat clean. Mm -hmm. You didn't exercise enough. And then it absolves capitalism. It absolves exploitative workplaces. It absolves white supremacy. It absolves people who are abusing us in our homes of it absolves all these perpetrators, right? Structural, of their accountability. Of their accountability. It absolves structural wow. and individual perpetrators of their accountability. Um, That's, damn. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my God, that, that brought up all the questions, but there were like two words that just stuck in my brain. So when you're saying like the gendered, you know, hysteria and then um, accessibility um, and Totally. This is how my little ADHD mind works. Um, I thought about kind of when I worked in the domestic violence field, the lack of accessibility for male survivors mm -hmm. um, because of like the concern that it's a perpetrator trying to find out where our girls are kind of thing. So I'm wondering if there's that same lack of accessibility for men who struggle with eating disorders because I've, I've known actually... Um, oh, the other thing, when you're talking about food, so I, I dated someone, um, male who had battled an eating disorder, still, you know, that stuff still kind of comes up, even if we've worked on our stuff, like anything that we're dealing with mental health wise, right? And like sometimes with food, when he was stressed out about something else, he'd be like, I don't know, whatever, it's carbon based. <laughs> like I'm getting fuel in me, who cares? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, that was a very like convoluted way. So like, is, um, is that lack of accessibility a thing for men? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, a lot of men struggle with eating disorders. A lot of men struggle with body image issues. And that is, and I think it's hard for men to talk about it because they feel extra shame around it because men are socialized to not be vulnerable. And it's very, mm. they're socialized to not seek out any kind of assistance, whether it's going to the doctor for a physical problem, going to therapy for a mental health problem. So I think in general, um, you, if you look at a lot of the influencers online, fat positive influencers, it's it's a lot of women. It's a lot of, and, and some there are some men, and I, this is kind of binary, um, of course, there's also non-binary people, um, but I have, it does seem to be a lot of femmes, a lot of assigned female at birth folks who are, are the influencers. And I think a lot of uh, men do struggle with trying to figure out where they fit in, or maybe they don't even think it applies to them. So I do think uh, men, especially cis men who have an eating disorder or struggle with body image are likely suffering in silence and full mm -hmm. of shame and likely not even talking to anyone about it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, like, there's a lot. That's, that's what I was hoping um, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing would raise awareness of for the DV world, but it didn't. Mm. <laughs> like, but yeah. that's uh, me and my tangents. <laughs> we will not hop on that connection. We love flight. your tangents. <laughs> <laughs> we will not hop on that connection flight because we're, we're doing well. We have a solid, like, 
chunk of stuff recorded and I think that we haven't had to pause and i love to this. sort of maybe think about mm. men and then i do want to talk about stuff around language uh, mm, yes, there is yes. some great writing that has been done uh around the different experiences that trans people have with anti-fatness and so i think that that's also so i know that i think there's a lot of pressure on trans people to conform to norms of thinness or norms of muscularity as a way to sort of quote prove their gender and i think there's a lot of pressure on trans masculine folks to be uh, muscular and to um and i and i know that deshaun al harrison who's amazing he wrote belly of the beast the politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness or maybe it's anti-blackness as anti-fatness i should know that it's a brilliant book and he uh interviews trans masculine people about their experiences with fat phobia within trans communities and we know that for example some doctors will refuse to give top surgery to trans masculine people in larger bodies and so they actually have to lose weight before they can get access to a surgery that is necessary sometimes to save their lives right it's a life because of the intense body dysmorphia you can experience if you haven't and so it's necessary for their mental health their physical health and and then also fat trans people can feel excluded in trans spaces and so yeah i think there's many layers thinking about men and eating disorders and anti-fatness both in terms of how it affects cis men and how it affects also trans masculine folks and trans men so do you know if those same doctors would approach it in the same way if um a larger woman cis woman was coming in for breast reduction because she had back pain from it or are they going to do that Mm. no problem you know that is a great question i don't know but i do know that in the interviews harrison did uh and i believe can we pause this yes i need to look up did look up Deshaun L. Harrison's book title. I've read this book. I've taught this book. Uh, so I should have known the title, but it is uh, the, the belly. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness is Anti-Blackness. It's a brilliant book. I've taught it. And I also bought Deshaun L. Harrison to Montclair State to give a talk. And their pronouns are actually they, them. And I was accidentally using the wrong pronouns. And we could have paused the podcast and edited it out where I used the wrong pronouns. But I actually said to Kristen, let's just keep it in, even though I feel guilty that I used the wrong pronouns. And that was my bad. Uh, But I think that part of cultivating mental health is modeling for people how to take accountability when we make mistakes, modeling for people how to apologize and how to give ourselves grace and compassion when we do make mistakes. And I made a mistake, I messed up, used the wrong pronouns. I feel bad about that, but I also wanna leave that in to show how to model accountability and also course correcting. I am now going to um, you know, change the pronouns I was using for them and use the correct ones. Cool. Um, yeah, well, and then, so if we're leaning into that, cause I know I mentioned earlier, um, kind of maybe like, where am I treading too carefully? Like, where mm-hmm. am I being too, like, as far as navigating, being compassionate and being supportive of my clients when they are, you know, having these like very deep struggles that I don't relate to on a personal level. Like, how, like, how is the best way to approach that? So, so like, if I have a client talking about because as much as I want to have my focus not be on optics and not be on image and not be on the aesthetics of it, like, yeah, I mean, that's a great goal, but it's also a very lofty one because of the culture that we live in, because of all of these media images that they're being bombarded with. So even, and I saw like one of my, like, this awesome, wonderful client that I have who is like, we don't actually work on her body image. She's a larger woman, but she's, she loves herself and loves herself in the skin she's in and has, you know, pretty great self-esteem. And it was actually just as a clinician, like very jarring for me to see her have a breakdown about this in a recent session. And like, how she was going to be perceived by others for something that actually had nothing to do with her weight, but they were going to assume that it had something to do with her weight, like a medical issue. 
that had nothing to do with her weight and like knowing that outside judgments were going to attribute it to her size. Mm -hmm. And so I know like, I don't think I completely fucked up in that moment, but I know I could have maybe been more effective too, because I wasn't expecting it really in that session because of who she is. And like, I didn't have a personal roadmap on how to navigate it. So what would your recommendation be? I mean, that's, that? uh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think, so I have a couple different responses to that. I think one is, and I know she, you said that also this client was having some, was in your opinion, maybe also engaging in some uh Eating practices where she wasn't eating enough and you oh, did yeah, advise that, her. Yeah, so. that too. So okay. I, I did share that with Claudia before we were rolling that one of, you know, because she had said you know, she was in her head about this happening and had been kind of engaging in like anorexic behaviors almost over the course of the week and had like gotten dizzy. So my suggestion was like, well, I mean, maybe at least like if you're, you know, if you're having, like if you're in your head about like, actually eating something at least do a protein shake or like a yogurt smoothie or something so like jedi mind trick your brain (laughs) into okay i'm not actually eating but get some nourishment in you for christ's sake like you you actually need to eat yeah like whereas that's actually and that's something people have said to me sometimes like just as a smaller boned person like like I'll just have people randomly will be like eat a burger eat a brownie like out of nowhere so that mm. like felt a little awkward so I was I don't know I was all types of in my head <laughs> and hopefully I don't think she noticed she didn't act like she noticed like yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah she was in her own head enough that I think it was okay totally but like yeah, like, holy fuck, how do I deal with that help? I need an yeah. adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I have a couple thoughts on that. I think one is that, and, and I'm not a clinician, but I've had a lot of therapy in my life. And so I think one of the things that often works for me in therapy is when my therapist really validates that I've experienced something traumatic or abusive or harmful and validates that it's okay that I was upset. It's okay that I was stressed out that anyone would be or that most people would be. And I think one of the things that my therapist has done that's really helpful is sometimes express express rage. I mean, not rage. She's never rage, but express anger or frustration or, um, or some kind of negative emotion when I've told her about a way that someone has harmed me or mistreated me. And I think unfortunately, because we live in a diet culture, I think, and I don't think you you did this at all, Christian, but I think some therapists and clinicians, maybe subconsciously, they don't even realize this, but they have internalized the narrative that fat people or people in larger bodies, which we can talk about language too and, and different kinds mm-hmm. of language I think clinicians can use, but that people in larger bodies um, are to blame for how they're treated or that they're somewhat responsible for it because they're in a larger body. And I think we have a lot of narratives around racism, sexism, homophobia that acknowledges that those kinds of systems of oppressions that people have experienced are not their fault. It's not your fault if you're experiencing sexism or racism or homophobia. I think that isn't fully there yet with anti-fatness and fat phobia. So I think even just a clinician validating like, wow, that is, I am so sorry. And that's, and I don't know the right ways to say this, but really validating that it's unfair that she feels this pressure to lose weight. And if anyone mistreats her based on her weight or has these assumptions about her based on her weight, that that is really unfair and that that is harmful and that it is rooted in this larger system of oppression, which I know clinicians aren't necessarily gonna use that language, but even just having that framework there, I think can be really helpful and maybe, and I really like Kristen that you showed concern that she wasn't eating enough Mm -hmm. um, because I think most people in larger bodies get praised for weight loss. And we know that a lot of people in larger bodies who have eating disorders, the one of the ways that they're treated is that they're actually praised and validated and affirmed for having an eating disorder. Whereas if a thin person were to be engaging the same kinds of disordered eating, people would be concerned. They would want to send them to a clinic. They would want to get them help. And so we have all of these people in larger bodies who are suffering from eating disorders and they're actually 
being encouraged to have those eating disorders, even sometimes in clinical settings. And so I, I love that you encouraged her to eat, that you were concerned that she was kind of weak and not and eating like enough. And dizzy. Like, and dizzy. At work. Like, she has to drive home from work. I don't want my clients dying on a drive. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advise against that. And I think <laughs> that's professional really, opinion. really good. I think that's a really great way to approach it. And even thinking about language, I know... It's hard to know what kind of language to use. And I think sometimes people will use the O words like overweight and obese, especially overweight, I think, because they think it's maybe more sensitive mm. um, or more polite than fat, which I understand. But I would discourage uh, everyone. <laughs> Is curvy okay? I, you know, I think curvy's a little sexual, so I wouldn't do curvy, mm. especially in a clinical setting. I, I mean, I think that... Or, like, bigger, just like I'm a bigger girl. You could say, yeah, bigger, larger person in a larger body. Sometimes people say thick. I think thick can be cute. Plus size, um, if the client is comfortable, although not all clients will be. Fat is sometimes used. And I think, I personally think of fat. Some people are very uncomfortable with fat and it can be triggering for some people. So I definitely wouldn't do that with a client unless they did it first. But yeah. um, I actually don't think I use anything. Yeah, I, I think, think I. Like I let them use whatever they're gonna use, but I think like because of like my tiptoeing around it, I don't. Right. I don't know that I use any adjective at all. Right. Well, I think, uh, and there's research about this that the O words do feel stigmatizing for most people um, because they are essentially saying to the person that there's something wrong with your body and that your body is diseased, your body's pathological, you're over the weight that you should be, or you're obese, and we know that obesity is thought of as a disease. So even though it may sound more polite to say overweight or obese is sending this subtle message to someone that they have a diseased body. So even just something more neutral, like plus size or pers or larger body or thick or bigger, um, I think m even if clients are not going to ask for you not to use the O words, it may still land in a particular way that they're not even understanding why it lands that way. Something that I have done once, um, so I was working with... Um, like briefly, he, he dropped out of therapy, but I was working with a guy with, with an eating disorder and not like right on the heels of this session, thankfully, because I'd be even more in my head. I just happen to think of it now. Um, I did point out to him, um, and some of it was like he was being body shamed in his relationship too, which is shitty. Don't do that to your partner ever, <laughs> like for any reason. Yes. Like you're the worst if you do that. <laughs> sorry, not Word. sorry. Like, Word. like that is my professional clinical opinion you're the worst if you body shame your partner <laughs> like don't fucking do that that is clinical language <laughs> yes you're a shit box if you do that <laughs> you're a shit box yes i, I will move to have that in the dsm-6 even yes. <laughs> with a diagnostic code no except i don't want to treat you <laughs> um no but anyway so so what i like what i said to him just like I mean, I don't like hearing people in general speak negatively about themselves. And, you know, he was doing this, like, colored by all of, you know, all of this, like, very close to home, like, in the home external pressure that he was getting about his size. And I did point out to him as the clinician, and I don't know if this is, like, good, bad, and different, that, like... You know, like, I'm, I'm looking at you, like, you, you know, like, he carried it well, too. He was, he was a bigger guy in general, like, taller. And, and, like, to, if I was only engaging with you on, like, a phone session, I, the way that you speak about yourself, I would be picturing somebody who's, like, a candidate for my 600-pound life, and they are not calling you. <laughs> like, you don't qualify for that. Like... Like, I kind of wish you could see the lens that I'm viewing you through right now. Yeah. And I think that's really good. And I'm so glad that you were validating them. And also, again, having that sort of, I think, a, you know, your therapist or someone sort of having that frustration with people who are mistreating you, it almost empowers you to also feel that too. Uh, I think that it's, it's complicated. We live in such an image-focused, body-focused society. But I would say that... 
Even if someone is 600 pounds or 800 pounds, they still deserve to be with someone who loves them unconditionally. Oh, absolutely. And with someone who doesn't shame them about their body. And if they do do that, then they shouldn't be with them. And I do think sometimes we have this sort of... uh, concept and you see this in body positivity a lot that there's sort of acceptable ways to be fat if or or unacceptable ways to be fat right that it's okay if you're fat if like um you're still conventionally attractive in some way or it's okay to be fat Mm. if you're not too fat right it's okay to be fat if maybe you're 200 pounds but not 400 pounds and i think ultimately i want us and i know that you always validate your clients but i I think ultimately we kind of need to move beyond that that all human beings are worthy of dignity and respect yes. and and a life free from discrimination, a life free from an abusive relationship, because I think body shaming is a form of abuse if you body mm-hmm. shame your partner. Um, and that and that extends to every person of every size. And uh, yeah, so I think that even moving beyond that and just, you know, you deserve to and I don't know what therapist should or shouldn't say because I'm not trained in this, but even just coming with a framework of, well, you just, that is harmful. And But just like on the receiving end as a client, like you wouldn't have felt like, oh, this was a shitty thing my therapist said Mm. to me. No, no, not at all. Not at all. The The other thing too that I've noticed about myself, um, I don't know if this is like akin to the whole like, I don't see race, I don't see color Mm. kind of thing that people do. But like literally, especially if it's somebody that I see regularly, like I had this with a friend of mine who um, was, you know, training and trying to lose weight um, in a healthy way just to like feel better about himself. And he was somebody that I saw all the time. So the only thing thing that I really noticed was that he felt better about himself and he was standing taller and he seemed more confident. But until he like posted a side by side on social media, I hadn't really registered the weight loss fully because I saw him so regularly. Like, like literally, like I kind of don't see a person's weight almost like I just see them you just see them as a person right and that's what you want like is that okay to do I guess in the body positivity world (laughs) like differently than it is with like I don't see race because obviously you fucking do like people are usually colorblind to like red and green not melanin content yeah no I think it's I think it's really complicated and I think that it's different when we really love and care somewhat about someone right I mean of course uh we see race, we see gender, we see body size, but I also think there's something really beautiful about that, about loving someone so unconditionally and feeling so close and intimate to them and intimate with them that some of these identity markers fall away. And I have dated people where um, I dated someone for years who's African-American. And of course I never forgot that he's black. I never forgot that he experienced racism. But I also, that wasn't at the forefront of my mind when he and I were making out or or going out for a date. He was just my person. He was the person I was in love with. He was He was funny and smart and sometimes annoyed me and I sometimes annoyed him. And And I think there is a lot of humanity in that to hold both things at the same time, which is, yes, I see that you are black or I see that you're queer or I see that you're in a larger body. And I know you experience systems of oppression because of that. And also, that's not always what I'm going to be thinking about when I'm relating to someone. This is my friend. This is my partner. This is the person I love. And I don't think that's any kind of erasure. um, Yeah, I feel like it's weird if you are, like, if you are focused on that, then why? (laughs) If you are focused on that, are you the person that's going to, like, segue into body shaming them? Exactly. That is actually a really good point. And and I think even thinking about the whole side-by-side pictures and people feeling better when they engage in weight loss, and I think it's very complicated because... Uh, people do often feel better if they lose weight because why wouldn't they feel better? They are being praised by family and friends for losing weight. They may have an easier time dating. People may find them more attractive. Um, They may be able to physically fit into spaces. We know a lot of 
uh, there's not always a lot of accommodations for people in larger bodies in terms of seating or airplanes. Um, they may be able to go shopping and find clothes in their size. And so I think a lot of times people, they are, they are experiencing less discrimination, perhaps less shaming, less bullying. So I think a lot of people do feel better, quote unquote, when they lose weight because they're experiencing all the privileges of weight loss, which isn't to say they shouldn't feel good. Like all feelings are valid and people can feel whatever they feel and should feel whatever they're feeling. But I also think it's important to keep in mind that I think sometimes there's this narrative of, oh, you're going to live your best life once you lose weight because losing, because thinness is better than fatness. And it's like, mm. no, you're going to live your best life when you lose weight because you are going to be more privileged and you are going to receive all these social and economic privileges. We know people in thin bodies have economic privileges too. They make higher wages. And so, or, I mean, maybe also like what I was observing in my friend too, yeah. like he felt better about himself. Like you're living your best life because you feel good. Right. You, you feel good and because people are, it's, you're getting rewarded perhaps in certain ways. Maybe. Yeah. Um, not by me because I didn't not notice until he posted well, about I mean, it. And, but... that's and I think it's always important. I always, but I was just like, yeah, like you, you look happy. You look confident. I love this for you. Right. And you had it. And I think that that's really important too, in terms of therapist, friends, family members, I always advise to not comment on weight loss or weight gain. Because um, if, you if you praise someone for weight loss, it implies that you didn't like how they looked before. Mm -hmm. And also if they regain some or all of the weight, they're gonna feel really bad about themselves. They're like, wow, everyone said I looked so great when I lost weight. Now that I've regained it, do I not look as good anymore? And so I always mm -hmm. say it's important to just, I just wouldn't comment on it at all. And because also you don't know why the person lost weight. Some people lose weight because they're sick. Some people lose weight because they have an illness or they have an eating disorder or they're struggling with their mental health. And so I always, I always, even if I do notice if someone has gained or lost weight, I just don't comment on it either way. And I, I think that kind of leads to something else I wanted to comment on thinking in terms of therapy practices or how to think about weight loss. Uh, we know that <laughs> dieting is the probably largest failed health, quote unquote, health endeavor in history. Uh, 93 to 95% of people who engage in intentional weight loss will regain all of the weight. And two thirds mm -hmm. of people will end up at a higher weight than they were before they engaged in intentional weight loss. And so, uh, and that's because the body doesn't want to lose weight. Your body doesn't know you have a fridge full of food. They don't, they don't know about Trader Joe's and Whole Foods <laughs> and the, the A&P and the McDonald's, right? They think you are out in the wild, quote unquote, right? Starving and you don't have access to enough food. So the body engages in complex hormonal, neurological and metabolic processes that slow down your metabolism and make you hungrier and delay your fullness cues. And so that's why it's so hard to engage. That's why it's so hard to lose weight because your body is actually doing everything it can to make sure you don't lose weight. And that if you do lose weight, you regain it. And, and so I think a lot of thinking about mental health, a lot of people experience so much shame because they regain the weight and they experience and, and then people are blaming them for regaining the weight. Oh, you just weren't disciplined enough or you just Ew. ate too much. <laughs> and, and so I think, I don't know how to approach that as a clinician, but if someone comes in and wants to lose weight, what is a therapist? I don't know what a therapist says, but if, a, and I think a lot of people don't know these statistics, but what does a therapist say knowing, oh, wow, this client has a 93 to 95% chance of regaining all the weight. They have a two thirds of a chance of ending up at a higher weight. And also this is going to probably harm their physical and mental health because they'll feel bad about themselves when they regain the weight. And we know also that weight cycling can have negative health effects uh, on your blood sugar, on your cardiovascular system. We, uh, there's some theories out there among uh, different researchers that we know that there are some uh, diseases, right? that are associated with being in a larger body. But there is a question of why does that exist? And some research that needs to be done is, is it actually having a larger body that is causing those negative health issues or, or those health issues? Um, or is it the weight cycling? Mm. So we know that weight cycling puts a lot of strain on your heart. We know that weight cycling leads to higher blood pressure, which can then lead to heart disease. So I think the next sort of frontier of research is comparing people in larger bodies who have always 
stayed around the same size and haven't weight cycled or have had stable weight uh, with people in larger bodies who have weight cycled. And does that affect them? Um, Is it too basic to draw a parallel between like our physical bodies get sicker when there's those extreme temperature changes too? Hmm. Like, you know, like there's that extreme, you know, if you're, if you're cycling like one extreme to the other. Yeah. With that. That's true. Because I know too, um, I remember my mom telling me this story and I forget why, but there was some, some supermodel who like starved herself for a shoot and then like ordered this really, really rich meal and then her stomach exploded and I think she died. Oh like, my gosh. Like in the 70s. I forget Whoa. her name. Um, but like, yeah, I, I forget like why my mom talked to me about eating disorder stuff, but she talked to me about that and about like Karen Carpenter. Hmm. Well, the Karen Carpenter thing is so interesting because mm-hmm. she is sort of viewed as someone that our culture gives this kind of a lot of sympathy and empathy to, right? She was a thin, conventionally attractive white woman who died of anorexia. And because of that, she is viewed as, with a lot of compassion. A lot of people don't know that Mama Cass, who was in the Mamas and the Papas, also died of an eating disorder. Uh, oh. But people don't know that because she was in a larger body. So she was dieting a lot. She was taking all kinds of pills to lose weight. She had lost a lot of weight. And then she died, I believe, of heart failure. And we know that people who die of anorexia or an eating disorder, it's often because their heart fails. But mm-hmm. no one knows that about Mama Cass because we think that people who are fat can't die of an eating disorder. But oh. research shows that the negative health effects of an eating disorder are the same regardless of your body size. And so it's not like, oh, it's quote unquote healthier to have an eating disorder if you're fat than if you're thin. No, it's going to negatively affect your health either way. So. Yeah. And I wonder, like a lot of people too, like I had a friend who I guess got it addressed because she has maintained her weight. Um, but she was a lot heavier when I first met her because of a thyroid issue and had actually gone to the doctor and she's, she was like, yeah, like I basically like am anorexic. I never eat because it hurts too. Mm. Um, and then when that got sorted, she ended up dropping some, she was taller as well. She ended up dropping something like 70 pounds and has maintained that because she is, you know, healthy now. Like she's not, you know, she's not like super, super skinny either, but she's just like at a healthy weight for her body now. Right. And I, I think the whole healthy thing is interesting. Tell me. (laughs) Well, health is so complicated, right? So thinking about the social determinants of health, uh, there's so many reasons why we could end up struggling and also health how is that connected to privilege or what is what is even a healthy weight knowing that intentional weight loss almost always uh ends in failure knowing that the ways that our bodies experience health or disease which are sort of nebulous concepts anyway like at what point is it are you healthy or unhealthy these are kind of moving goalposts but yeah. i think one thing to think about is this concept of healthism which is that our society, it's another form of discrimination, like fat phobia, sexism, racism, that our society does give privilege to people that are, quote, that are perceived as, quote, healthy. And then those who are perceived as unhealthy or who are disabled are sort of denied a lot of privileges and often experience discrimination. And so I kind of try to move beyond, it's difficult, but how do we kind of move beyond even concepts of of health or because I think it's there's also even in body positivity it's okay if you're in a larger body if you're quote-unquote healthy or it's okay if you're a larger body if you're still within a particular range but what if we just say you know what it's just all okay it's okay if you have lots of health issues it's okay if you have disabilities it's okay if whatever size your body is is okay be, that's just where you're falling and I think in our capitalist white supremacist society that kind of unconditional, so thinking about therapy, unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. We don't give people unconditional positive regard. 
And we're constantly creating hierarchies based on health, based on body size, based on race, based on gender. And what does it mean to eradicate all that and just give all people unconditional positive regard and all people unconditional love? I think it's so Mm. radical, it's almost unimaginable. And even when we're trying to be body positive or fat positive, we still can kind of fall into it. And so I think, and I fail all the time at it, but like, how do we kind of start to really challenge a lot of that? And how does that then, how can that play out in the therapy, in the, in the, in the therapeutic setting, right? Where like the clinician is just going to give their client unconditional positive regard. Um, Yeah, I think I, um, I think I do actually try to do that. I think also that my friend is probably an outlier example there because she wasn't actively dieting. She was literally just getting a medical issue treated and her weight loss was a side effect of like getting all of those levels and whatever balanced. But, um, but yeah, so the unconditional positive regard, like I have, like I have worked, so we've been working with clients since 2016, if you count my clinical internship and I can still probably count on fingers out of hundreds of clients in that time like the ones that I like had a hard time finding anything to empathize with like it, it's never for me um I remember being actually very bothered by it in my grad program during um I think it was my second semester um so no no this was this was first semester so I had to read this book Love's Executioner by um Irving Yalom And it was these like kind of short little profile stories that he had of case studies and like his experiences working with clients. And he was like, you know, that's his white Jewish guy, like older. And he had a a woman client who was a larger bodied woman. And he spent like, I... I think I skimmed. I think I like couldn't even read the whole story because he talked about how grossed out he was by her physical appearance. And like his whole big epiphany at the end was like she finished her course of treatment with him and like they had like gone through this whole journey together. And he like she like asked him for a hug for like the end of therapy and he finally felt comfortable doing with it and he felt he had grown in that way. And I'm like, I hated this fucking story so much. <laughs> I no one can see me, but my face is <laughs> my face is all kinds of angry and disgusted with this guy. Yeah. I was like, I really did not enjoy reading that. And like I didn't know why it was assigned to me or what the fuck I was supposed to learn from it. Like I like literally like the only time I have ever had a problem like and even even if like somebody rubs me wrong I can usually find something to empathize with and then like I, I can probably count on one hand the times that I like had somebody that it was just like oh my god I don't know how I'm gonna work with this person <laughs> like I, I can't find anything about then like those people don't really end up staying in treatment anyway more often than not but yeah, like this, this story really, really bothered me. Right. And it sounds like if that therapist had been your client, you would have had a very hard time empathizing with him. Absolutely. Although you would have done an amazing job empathizing with his client that he was yeah. in his mind judging. And this is a perfect, and I have no idea why that was assigned. That should have been assigned as this is exactly what you should not do yeah, as a therapist. It was and that just, doesn't sound like that's how it was framed. No, we were just supposed to like react to it. And <laughs> I'm like, you know, respectfully, my reaction is what the fuck this right. is awful this story bothered yeah. me so much I know I was very vocal about it oh good and and my professor was just like, oh, interesting okay I mean my uh, professor was an old white dude too so right 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 <laughs> and this is a perfect example of and I don't know if this shaped how he viewed his client but I think this is it had to it no? had to though like he right? spent the entire do I have this on my shelf or did it bother me so much that I donated it <laughs> I think I may have donated it. I don't see it where it would be. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, he's horrible. And it's going to shape how he's treating his client. That he's not, he's just, and, and, and like there's so much misogyny underneath yes. there too. That a woman should be thin or should be conventionally attractive. And if she's not, he's going to view her with disgust. There's just so much thin privilege and male privilege. and 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 I think too... And this is kind of an aside, but I think this is something that could be useful 
to tell to people who are struggling with body image or if you have a client who is, there's this great essay by Lindy West in her book, Shrill, where she talks about one of the ways that she learned to love her body was she went on Tumblr and she Hmm. looked at images of fat influencers who were wearing bikinis and in lingerie and who were just living their best life and really joyful. And she said that at first she felt and I'm not I'm trying, I don't want to say this for sure, but she, her evolution of her feelings were kind of like curiosity, but then kind of neutrality. But then she sort of started to love these images. And I think we're so inundated with only images of thinness that I think one of the things I assign to my students in my gender studies classes and my fast studies classes, I teach this Lindy West essay and I said, okay, now go on TikTok or Instagram or no one really uses Tumblr anymore. And I, I give them a list of, I think maybe 30 or 40 fat influencers, but I say you can also find others and just look at them, look at them in bathing suits, look at them laughing and dancing and living their best life. And then write a response to how you reacted to it. And so many of my students are like, wow, this really helped me learn to love my body. This really helped me learn to feel more comfortable in myself. And sometimes we just need to just see just see different kinds of bodies and realize that all bodies are good bodies. All bodies are beautiful bodies. And and I know that the whole beauty versus ugly thing is complicated, but I would say, but I don't know. I kind of love the idea of all bodies are not only good bodies, but what if they're just all beautiful? Well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So they're all going to be beautiful to somebody. Right. And we, and, and if you think about it, so much of beauty is social constructed. One of the things I say to my students is, six pack abs are thought of as attractive and six packs abs are kind of lumpy, <laughs> but also cellulite is lumpy and that's not thought of as attractive, but why, why can't we see, uh, cellulite is like abs. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a social construction. And can we start to really challenge ourselves in that way? Yeah. Well, like what is beauty? Like that, that reminds me of something that my yoga teacher talks about too. Like what is strength when we're working our core in a yoga class She's like, okay, so like what's real strength is like, like you're able to hold yourself up. Like what's praise is strength is these like bodybuilders who lift these giant weights over their head and like hold it and their arms are shaking and they do it for a few seconds and then just drop it. Like, like what's real beauty? What's real strength? Because it's not how we actually frame it a lot of the time. Right. Even thinking about vulnerability is strength. Oh my God, yeah. Being emotional is strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to sort of turn all these things on their head. Yeah. <laughs> turn it all upside down. I also um, I also want to know, like, so who are the influencers that you recommend? Because I absolutely want to give these to some of my clients. Oh, that is such, you know, let me pull up the list. Yes. I'm going to pull up the assignment. It'll take me a minute because I want to make sure I get people's handles right and all that yeah uh, oh you have a list can you email it to me so i can just yeah, like oh, direct just put it in the show. With them? you know why don't we put it in the show notes you like have link, show at notes, right? link at the um, bottom link at the bottom i can figure or... out how to do that if you yeah link at the bottom because i have yeah a list of a lot and uh and and there's definitely some are cis women some are trans folks uh some are men some are women some are, some are non-binary i tried to really think of um you know, how to be diverse, because I think for too long, the face of body positivity has been a cis, white, conventionally attractive, uh, slightly fat woman. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and like, probably not even probably just somebody who is like, right. Who maybe doesn't like, even fall into size. like, yeah, even, like would like, fall into size. like, just right. average size. Like exactly. she's not some like malnourished model type right, right. she may not even be in the plus size super category. restricting right. yeah like exactly. just somebody who's like a size right. whatever like six to eight instead of a zero exactly which is right most right. like yeah thinking about therapy too there was this one uh this book with a wonderful title that is not a very good book that was published in the 70s called fat is a feminist issue wonderful title not a great book by Susie Orbach where she linked fatness to trauma and said that if you heal your trauma your fatness will sort of melt away Mm -hmm. and there is still this narrative out there that people who are in larger bodies or who are fat they're fat because they've experienced some they've experienced something traumatic maybe they engaged in quote-unquote emotional eating although I don't really like that concept because I think if you're stressed and you need to eat a cupcake that's actually 
very good for your mental health. Eat the cupcake. But cupcakes um, are great. I wish I could eat cupcakes when I was stressed. My stomach turns into a fucking knot, and I'm kind right. of jealous of people who can like snack and like feel better. Right, 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 because right. Because I have to like force myself to just be nourished so I don't get dizzy <laughs> and die driving somewhere. Like I encouraged my client to. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but so I think sometimes there is this association with. Uh, fatness as the result of trauma or maybe you ate because you were sad or maybe you ate and gained weight to try to protect yourself from future physical or sexual trauma or to try to protect yourself so thinking about this from kind of a very sort of female lens but maybe you gained weight to protect yourself from the male gaze or from male predators Um, and I think that that can be true for some people some people maybe did become fat as a way to protect themselves from future sexual trauma or physical trauma. I'm not invalidating that narrative at all. But I think sometimes people think that fatness can only be pathological and perhaps only be the result of trauma and that um, and that thinness is the norm. And I think we really need to reframe that as some thin people have experienced trauma, some fat people have experienced trauma, and also some fat people haven't experienced trauma, perhaps other than the trauma of anti-fatness and diet mm-hmm. culture. And, and we need to reframe that and also st- start to think about body size diversity as an inherent part of human diversity, just like we're all gonna have different heights, different skin colors, different hair textures we're all gonna be different body sizes. And research shows that body size is as inheritable as height. And some people are just going to naturally, quote unquote, I kind of hate that word too, but (laughs) be in larger bodies and some are going to just be in smaller bodies. And that it doesn't really matter the reason why someone is fat because there's actually nothing wrong with being fat. Uh, And so, and I think that that is uh, something that could really help people who help clinicians who have clients in larger bodies to kind of maybe challenge themselves as, as they are, they viewing their client's larger body as somehow associated with trauma or somehow pathological. And how can they challenge themselves and really reframe it as, okay, my client's in a larger body, nothing wrong with that. And this is just part of human diversity that we're all going to have different body sizes. And what are the chances that the trauma associated with it actually Mm. is all of these kind of, you know, harmful social beliefs, basically, like all these like socially constructed things. Um, Parents body shaming their kids is unfortunately super common. Yeah. Like like yelling at them for getting a snack or like for the specific snack that they are choosing because it's, you know, the carbs, the calories, like that orthorexic thinking maybe. Yeah. I think that's such a good point to really think about when we monitor kids' food choices or we shame people for their bodies or we even comment on their bodies or, uh, yeah, that that also is traumatizing. So if we want to really talk about trauma, yeah, foreground that trauma. And that even if your clients weight uh, is connected to their sexual trauma or physical trauma. Uh, we know that intentional weight loss is pretty much completely ineffective. So why even promote that? Instead, just help them become comfortable with the body that they're in right now, because that is going to be their body probably mm-hmm. for the rest of their life, unless they engage in these harmful, intentional weight loss practices. Yeah. Like work with your body, not against it. Like don't so almost you know, so you, you have a relationship with your body. Like one of the things that I say in relationship counseling, even from um, relationship coach, Amy Fiedler, Amy the Light Coach, she's great. Um, same team. Like, you know, if you're in this tension, like in this tense interaction with your partner, like taking that time out and like same team, like we're on the same team here. We're not fighting against each other. Like you and your body are on the same team. You're not fighting against your body Hmm, like why would you do that why like why are you gonna like literally beat yourself up yeah I love that you and your body are on the same team don't go to war with your body I think that is so beautiful yeah I'm gonna start saying that to people yeah I think that's a beautiful thing for a therapist say their client like don't you know you are not at war with your body and I I encourage you to have a peaceful, loving relationship with your body. That's your home. Yeah. And when you're traumatized, that home has been taken away from you. That home has been made unsafe. That home has been, you've been robbed of that 
of that inherent human right that we all have to feel safe in our bodies. Let's not then add any kind of intentional weight loss or body shaming to that. Let's just help people feel at home in the bodies that they're in. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, uh, the, that's why bringing the mindful self-compassion too. Like, how are you, how are you talking to yourself about your body? Would you ever say this to your friends if they expressed they were feeling this way? Of course you fucking wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, so... So... Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's like, always, how do you end things? It's like when you're getting off the phone with someone, it gets super awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you hang up first. No, you. <laughs> well, I guess I just want to say, um, I think that the fields, I guess this is what I kind of want to end on. I think that the fields of fat study or the field of fat studies, um, body positivity, fat positivity, uh, fat activism, fat liberation, right? All these different forms of activism and fields of study. They are still relatively new. Uh, and and, and I, I guess I'm thinking about this from a Western framework and kind of a US-centric framework that we saw some of the first self-consciously fat activism in the late 60s. But of course, that's a very Eurocentric and US-centric framework. But because I say all that to say that all of these are new fields, all of these are new ways of thinking. We are all born into diet culture. Christy Harrison, who's this great writer and podcaster, says we are all socialized and indoctrinated into diet culture without our consent, starting at a young age. And so I may be I don't know, I could see myself listening to this podcast interview in a year and being like, well, maybe some of the things I said were kind of off or maybe I don't really agree with some of the things I said. And so I guess I just want to say, I guess, two things. One is that we're all works in progress. And mm -hmm. I think making mistakes is beautiful because then we can correct those. And um, I think that it's, and if, if some of the things I said are things that you perhaps maybe indicate some mistakes you've made in your relationships to others or your relationships to yourselves, I would just say forgive yourself and give yourself grace and know that we're all doing the best we can and that this is how we all learn and grow and that none of this was meant to shame anyone for things they've said or done in relation to themselves or others, but more just how can we all keep learning and growing and I'm still gonna keep learning and growing and I may have different thoughts in six months or a year as I've learned and grown even more because I too... I'm steeped in diet culture, unfortunately. Yeah. So maybe then we can do part two. We do like a little <laughs> yeah. second edition with, exactly. with updates. Like, you know, but yeah, like be, but yeah, at the end of the day, be with yourself, not against yourself. Be on your own team. Mm. Be at home in your own body. Ah, Claudia, you're the best. Thank you so much for Thank being you here. For having me. And Thank you. Thank sharing you your knowledge. All right. That's all I have for today. If you liked what you heard so far and want more, you can connect and follow me on both Instagram and TikTok at Out Is Through Podcast to stay in the loop about what's next and check out whatever random therapy-themed content I might deem relevant or entertaining enough to share to our little community on any given day. Until then, be you, be true, and live your life to the fullest as your most authentic self. Talk to you soon.